Wonderful. Thank you, Kath. Friends, do keep your Bibles open, either physically or electronically, uh, in Mark 13. And let me pray for us as we open this part of Scripture and expect God to speak. Let's pray. Father, please give us attentive minds and hearts this afternoon, we pray. May our, um, uh, our hearts be receptive to what you are saying. Would your spirit move and help us to understand these words, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. When I uh, was a teenager, one of the signs that I was growing up was that my parents would often leave me at home for the weekend uh, and they'd go away and I'd have the house uh, to myself. Uh, it was a liberating time. Uh, maybe you remember it or maybe you're looking forward to it one day soon yourself. Freedom. Freedom to eat what I wanted. Always a Findus frozen lasagna. I was a strange teenager. Freedom to watch what I wanted, always Star Wars box set on a VHS videotape. If you don't know what a VHS video is, ask someone who's a little bit older. Freedom to invite over anyone I wanted, uh, usually uh, Owen and Phil, uh, to rehearse our very short-lived rock band, uh, where we could make as much noise as we wanted without annoying mum and dad. Now, there is one simple rule to survive that experience as a teenager, and if you're a teenager here, or you're soon to be a teenager, make sure to underline this in your mental notes. You need to keep watch for mum and dad. That is a simple lesson to survive that experience. You need to keep watch. You know that mum and dad are coming back. You know that they're coming home at some point, and they expect to find you ready and the house standing, if not necessarily tidy. You just don't know when it's going to happen. So you must keep watch for their return. You, you need to learn to keep watch for the sound of the car turning into your street. Oh, the sound of footsteps approaching the front door, having made your necessary preparations. In my case, you kept watch so you could quickly tidy up or throw the rubbish away or push your friends and their guitar amps out of the back door. Now, why am I telling you this today? Well, very simply because Jesus in this chapter wants us to develop that same posture of keeping watch. I wonder if you heard that language and that idea repeated as Kath read these verses out. It's there throughout the chapter. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, watch out. Or he says, be on your guard. Similar idea in verses 9 and verse 23 and verse 33. Three times. He says, keep watch. Verse 35, be alert, verse 33, and watch, finally, verse 37. It's like a bell ringing through the chapter. Keep watch, keep watch, keep watch. Well, for what are we to keep watch? Well, in this chapter, Jesus is talking about two organically linked, two kind of connected, two related events that are nonetheless separate, even though they're connected in deep and profound ways. He says in verse 28, it's kind of like how the presence of leaves on a tree show us, without a shadow of a doubt, that summer is near. So we learn the lesson that one event is a harbinger of the other event. That's the key to unlocking this chapter. There are two events, but one is the harbinger of the other. The first event is the fall of Jerusalem and the subsequent destruction of the temple in Jerusalem that happened in AD 70, a few years after the Gospel was written, uh, when the occupying Roman forces entered Jerusalem, raised the temple to the ground to suppress a Jewish revolt. 
We can call that event the end of their world because it was cataclysmic in its implications for the first, century, uh, first generation of believers, the end of their world. But the second event these verses speak about is Jesus' own glorious, visible, personal return at the end of human history to save his people and to defeat his enemies. We could call this event the end of the world. And this organic connection between these events means that it's not always entirely clearly as you read the chapter which event Jesus is talking about at certain points. So we may have questions in our minds at the end of today. That is okay. I'm not going to attempt to try and answer all of them. But whatever questions we're left with, Jesus is clear. We must keep watch. And that means this chapter isn't something primarily of passing historical interest. It is profoundly relevant for us today. Although the fall of Jerusalem is in the past, that other event, the return of Jesus, is still very much in the future. It's not happened yet. And we can be sure Jesus isn't bluffing about coming future judgment because past judgment has already fallen in history, in the fall of Jerusalem. See, what we're thinking about today is ultimately meant to make us more watchful, more alert, more faithful Christians as we live for Jesus here and now. Jesus is coming back. We need to keep watch because we don't know when it will happen. Just like teenagers need to keep watch for their parents coming home. So can I encourage us, let's lean into what Jesus is saying here. And think firstly, when Jesus urges us to... Watch out for the end of their world. Watch out for the end of their world. That's a particular focus of the opening 23 verses. See, Jesus is triggered to give this long block of teaching in Mark 13 by the comment his disciples make when they're leaving the temple. Look at verse 1. Look, teacher, they say. What massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And you can kind of understand their amazement. Just like how you might be awestruck when you arrive at the Tower of London, or Warwick Castle, or Chatsworth House, or some other National Trust property that's just staggeringly beautiful. See, the temple was a pretty impressive feat of design and engineering. It was a marvel of the ancient world. The glorious pinnacle of Israel's privilege as God's chosen people. And so what Jesus says next is shattering, verse 2. Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Wow. Imagine how shocking it would be to see the Tower of London reduce the rubble in a terrorist attack. It's that kind of vibe and feel here. The temple is going to fall. It will be decimated. Utterly destroyed. Uh, I guess we might have some initial questions when we hear that. Why and when? Well, as for why, remember what we've been seeing so far in Mark's Gospel. In the last couple of chapters, Jesus has clashed in a heavyweight contest with the religious leaders of his day. He's exposed their hypocrisy, their, their fruitlessness at the heart of Israel. He's been rejected by those very leaders, in fact, by the very nation that should have opened their arms to welcome him. Actually, the only praiseworthy thing Jesus has found as he's walked through the temple over these last few days 
is the giving of a poor and destitute widow. And very soon, those same crowds that acknowledge Jesus' entry in Jerusalem with cries of, Hosanna, will unite again to shout, crucify him, in chapter 15. And that is a serious thing. In rejecting Jesus, the nation is rejecting the Messiah, God's long-promised rescuing king who would put all things right. They are sealing the fate of the temple. Judgment is coming on fruitless Israel because they've rejected God's true king. The temple will fall. And, And yet more is going on. The temple is also now obsolete that because the king has come, it's, it's past its sell-by date. It's, it's old tech. It's like a Nokia block phone. It kind of needs to be dismantled now because soon Jesus is going to die to pay for the sins of his people on the cross. And at that moment when he dies in John, uh, John, Mark 15, the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom, indicating that we don't need to go to a physical structure in Jerusalem anymore to draw near to God. We come to Jesus. That's why the temple's going to be destroyed. And as for where, well, we're in good company if we ask that question. The right question the disciples ask. Look at verse 4. When will these things happen? What will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? You can understand them asking the question. The temple is the centre of Jewish religious and cultural life. Its form is going to send shockwaves out to the community. So they ask when, what signs will accompany its destruction? And classic Jesus, before he actually answers that question, he takes a bit of time to prepare his disciples for what their immediate future holds, before he turns to the temple explicitly. He warns them not to get overly excited by supposed signs, that the fall of the temple is near. Uh, Verse 7, the end is still to come, he says. Verse 8, these things are simply the beginnings of birth pains. Uh, Ironically, as he says, wars and rumours of wars, hearing of nations in upheaval, earthquakes and famines, are not actually signs that the end is coming. They're signs that the end is not yet. So, for us today, let's not get caught up in speculation about the meaning of certain signs or events that we might identify to show us that Jesus' return is imminent. It's not the way those things are meant to work. His disciples need to be prepared for false teaching. Look at verse 22. They need to watch out because false messiahs, false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. You may uh, remember uh, last year a couple of churches in uh, South Korea were implicated as um, uh, 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 in some COVID outbreaks. Um, and one of those uh, groups was uh, an organisation that calls itself uh, Shincheonji Church. Uh, if you actually look into that organisation, uh, they're actually a cult. Uh, the founder of that cult is a man called Lee Man Hee, who uh, defines and describes himself as the chairman, the promised pastor, or most outrageously even the advocate. Uh, Actually, he claims he's not going to die. He presents himself to his followers as a messianic figure. He claims to be the spokesperson of Jesus on earth. That group is spreading throughout the world. It has reached this country. False messiahs and false prophets are all around us. That's just the nature of life today. We need to watch out for them. 
His disciples need to be prepared for persecution as they witness. Look at verse ten, uh, 9. Sorry. They're going to be handed over, Jesus says, to secular and religious authorities who will persecute them. Family members, verse 12, will turn one on another. But they can be sure, verse 10, the gospel will be preached to all nations. So let's hear that missionary command from the mouth of Jesus. Striking, isn't it? That's what he wants to encourage his first followers to be clear on. The gospel will advance against persecution. But Jesus does then turn specifically to talk about the fall of the temple in verse 14. He uses this very enigmatic phrase in that verse. He speaks about the abomination that causes desolation. Now that's language taken from Daniel's prophecy in the Old Testament. And Jesus uses this imagery to speak about what's going to happen to the temple in the near future, in the events surrounding its fall in AD 70. In some way, the temple in Jerusalem is going to be spoiled and and desecrated. Maybe in the Jewish revolt, but certainly even not that in uh, in the Roman reprisals against that rebellion. Either way, for Jesus, when that happens, it's a sign to flee. Look at verse 14. And the events of AD 70 were horrendous. It was a time of violence and bloodshed on an almost unimaginable scale. Jesus says the days of those uh, times will be, verse 17, dreadful. In fact, verse 19, days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now, never to be equaled again. Josephus, a contemporary Jewish historian who wrote about the revolt in AD 70, records that during the siege of Jerusalem and the subsequent destruction of the temple and the city, almost one million Jews died, either by crucifixion or by famine or through other horrific events. No wonder Jesus' disciples are to pray for the Lord's help as they live through these momentous events. They need to watch out for the end of their world. Watch out for the end of their world. That's a very clear message to Jesus' first followers. But the second thing these verses have for us today is the wider challenge to watch out for the end of the world. And that's where Jesus really lands in the second half of the chapter. That's that second event, organically linked to the first, but separate from it. In verse 24, Jesus goes on to give some basic, bare-bones headlines around the events of his return. He says there, verse 24... In those days, following that distress, that is, the fall of Jerusalem, um, he speaks about his return as an event which will impact creation, that will trigger cosmic upheaval, verses 24 and 25. It will be a time of gathering in for salvation or for judgment, respectively, in verse 26 and 27. It's a time when people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power, and glory, verse 26. See, Jesus says that is where history is heading. To his final, visible, public, personal return at the end of all things to judge the living and the dead. And Jesus is clear that the exact specific timing of that event is not known by him, verse 32. Striking, isn't it? It's also not known by the angels of heaven. By implication, it's not known to us either. It's known only to the Father. And so in light of the fact that this day, this coming, this returned timing is unknown, 
What should we do? Well, Jesus tells us, verse 33, be on your guard, be alert. Or verse 35, keep watch. Or verse 37, watch. We have to keep watch for the end of the world. Jesus drives the point home with a story, verse 34. Here it is. It's like a man going away, Jesus says. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. So you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. Jesus has said he's coming back. We can be sure it will happen. And so we should live with the reality of this at the forefront of our minds. We should be watchful, alert, awake. It would be wrong to be asleep and unaware. The day of his return is coming, but we don't know when. That's why we need to keep watch. But what does it actually look like to keep watch in practice? It's a great kind of idea. What does that mean? Well, let me try and unpack it under two things. Firstly, let's think about what it doesn't mean, and let's think about what it does mean. Firstly, what doesn't it mean to keep watch? Well, being watchful doesn't mean developing elaborate timescales or charts or schemes so that we can predict with precision when Jesus is coming back. It doesn't mean looking for signs in the current political situation whether events around COVID or Brexit or the activities of China or Russia doesn't mean um, those things. doesn't mean overly worrying about the spiritual significance of contemporary events in the Middle East, as if the return of Jesus could be tied to Israel's foreign policy. That would be a, a wrong move. All those things are mistakes, I think. And the church has often failed with this. I'm sure you've all heard the stories of Christian groups who've specified with overconfidence the precise date and time of Jesus' return, right down to the minute. Often using elaborate, complicated, and frankly irresponsible readings of the Bible to justify it. And they've been wrong. That's not being watchful. That's prying into things that are beyond us. That should shipwreck itself on the rock of verse 32. About that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, nor us. But only the Father. So let's take that to heart and try not to work out when it will happen. Just live watchfully. Confident that it will happen, and it could happen at any time. But let me say another thing, I think, that it doesn't mean to be watchful. Being watchful doesn't mean withdrawing from or undervaluing everyday life before Jesus returns. And again, the church has always struggled with this. There have always been voices saying that, well, if Jesus could come back at any time, then we should quit our jobs. We should cut ourselves off from our families. We should withdraw into a Christian commune and just hunker down waiting for Jesus to come back, right? There have always been voices saying there's no point in investing in this life or being concerned to impact or transform culture or society for Christ. That those sorts of activities were a little like arranging death chairs on the Titanic, merely a futile gesture in light of an impending disaster. 
But that's not the way the rest of the New Testament speaks, is it? Now, we should be watchful, but that is compatible with having a job and raising a family and planning for the future. Being watchful is compatible with campaigning for global justice or painting a picture or playing sport. Being watchful is compatible with pursuing a degree or developing a romantic relationship. Enjoying God's gifts in creation. You see, Jesus is coming back, but that should actually deepen our commitment to life in this world and how we live. Because we live fully in this world in light of the world to come. That's the way the logic should work for us. You may have heard of John Wesley, you may not have found, but John Wesley was the founder of English Methodism and a, 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 a wonderful travelling preacher who was often out each week preaching up and down the land. And he was once asked how he would spend tomorrow if he knew that Jesus was going to return in the evening of that day. So he got out his diary, he read through the list of preaching engagements he'd got there, and he said, these are the things I would do tomorrow if I knew the Lord was returning then. It's very wise, very sensible advice. See, he knew that we should live openly in this world for God so that others might come to know him through our witness and be ready themselves to meet Jesus when he does return. So let's not undervalue life in this world. There's no need to separate off as Christians to withdraw from culture or from art or politics or business or industry or music. We can get busy serving Jesus in those areas, watchful for him to come back. Ultimately, we're not meant to just sit here twiddling our thumbs, waiting for heaven. We're called to be watchful, and that means being active. But secondly, what does it mean then to be watchful? Well, we've begun to lead into that, I think, but let's just make some final comments. Being watchful does mean living each day aware that Jesus could come back at any moment. It means knowing that one day your alarm clock will go off. You'll get up. You'll kiss your family goodbye. You'll head to the office. Or you'll go to school. You'll chat your neighbour over the fence. You'll hop to Lidl or Aldi. You'll put the car in for its MOT. You'll go for a run. And before you go to bed that night, Jesus will return. History will end. Our Lord will come. Being watchful means being ready and expectant for that day. If you're here this afternoon and you're not yet following Jesus, then I think this is serious. See, Jesus is coming back. And the scriptures are clear that when he comes back, he will judge all. He will assess each of us for the quality and standard of our lives in light of his holy character how we've responded to his presence in the world and in our lives. And that will be a painful, exposing thing, because none of us have perfectly lived a good, God-honouring life. None of us have consistently put God first and others ahead of ourselves. We've inverted that order in all sorts of weird and selfish ways. None of us have met God's standards of perfection. All of us are guilty and stand condemned compared with the power and purity of Jesus. So we need to be ready to meet him. 
And the way to do that is to make peace with him now while there is still chance to do so. I mean, putting your life into his hands, turning control over to him, trusting his wisdom rather than your own. It means gratefully receiving the gift of life and forgiveness and peace with God that he alone can bring us through his death and resurrection. So what's stopping you responding to King Jesus in this way today so that you can be watchful for his return? Please don't delay responding to Jesus. He could return today. For those of us who are Christians, well, maybe one way we can be watchful is to write it in our diaries. Bear with me. Maybe electronically or physically, write down on random days for the rest of this year and on into 2022, just the word return with a question mark next to it. At random days that you turn to a complete kind of chance in your diary. Why not try that? Because if nothing else, there'll be set moments in times in the coming weeks and months when you'll just be going about your daily business and you'll see that in your diary and you'll go, ah, well, maybe it could be today. And that'll just trigger you to remember to, to be watchful. I don't think that's a kind of weird or culty kind of thing. I think it's just a thing that recognises that if you're anything like me, I am so prone to forget. I'm so prone to fall asleep in the words of Jesus' picture. I'm prone to get distracted by the urgent or the immediate, the to-do list, that any thought of eternity or Jesus' return or of judgment to come just goes out the window. My life easily squeezes down and contracts to the moment, to the here and now. So I need to be watchful. Maybe you do too. See, we live in a culture that reinforces our instinctive unbelief about Jesus' return. Our culture will not do anything to help me be watchful. And our culture will do nothing to help you be watchful either. So actually, maybe writing in the diary that Jesus could come back on a certain day isn't weird. Maybe actually it's essential. Whatever it might mean for you. Let's be in no doubt. We need to be watchful. Friends, we must keep watch for the end of the world. Let's not be like my teenage self, often unprepared for my parents to return, caught out, the house in a mess and guitar amps everywhere. Haven't watched for them. Don't be like that. Let's instead be watchful, ready, busy, serving Jesus in our lives. Because that's another way we can be watchful. Remember the story Jesus told, the story of servants going about the master's work. They're happy to be found uh, for his return because they're ready, they're, they're expectant, they're waiting for him. So am I ready? Are you ready? If Jesus came back today, is there something you know he'd want to find you doing? Or not doing? If there is, why not resolve now to stop doing what will please our master? Why not resolve to stop doing what won't please our master? We need to pray about this truth. We need to sing about the truth. We need to tell others about this truth. We need to be on our guard. We need to be alert. What Jesus says to us, he says to everyone, watch, watch, watch. 
why don't we take a moment of quiet just to respond to Jesus in our hearts this afternoon and then I'll lead us in a prayer but a moment of quiet to respond to the call for watchfulness tonight Jesus says, therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. Whether in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, keep watch. Father, thank you for the things we've been able to consider this evening. Father, this chapter is hard. It's not easy. We don't find it, it conducive in many ways to think about. It raises questions and we don't know the answers to them often. But thank you this chapter is here for our good, for our benefit, for our development and maturity in faith. And therefore, Father, I pray for myself and I pray for my friends here that having heard the call to be watchful this evening, we would take up that call and be people who are watchful. Because Jesus is coming back. And we don't know when it will be, but we know that it will happen. And it could happen at any time. Father, please help us to be on our guard and alert. Not asleep or drowsy or confused, but help us to think clearly about these things. And Father, help us to work out in our day-to-day lives what it means to keep watchful. Maybe that idea in the diaries will be helpful for some here. Maybe there are other better ideas. I'm sure there are. Whatever it might be, Father, would you move our hearts to respond, to keep watch, to be busy and active as we serve the Master, waiting for his return with joy and confidence. Because we know that his return will be good news, the best news, as he claims us as his bride for all eternity, and we find our place with him forever. Father, encourage us with these things. Help us to lift our heads and our hearts, we pray, and to keep watch. We pray for the glory and honour of Jesus, and for our progress and joy in the faith. Amen.